Hello and welcome to the Cinematic Stories podcast. I am your host, Thomas Olson, and this is the podcast where I talk to really cool and interesting people about their life through their favorite films. And I am especially really excited for this episode because I have a really good friend of mine that we haven't really chatted for over two years and um, excited to have him back to talk in movies. And that is my friend, Dallin Curtis. So Dallin, welcome to the show. Hello, Thomas. Great to be here on your, your new podcast. It's pretty cool what you guys got here. Well, thank you. Yeah, I'm glad to have you here. And, and you know, it wasn't like anything negative or anything half bad blood between us. We didn't talk for two years. It was, I don't know if you want to share with, with like the guests, like what, what you've been doing the last two years, but. No, yeah. So I've recently gotten back from a two year, I guess you could call it a sabbatical of a sort. I spent two years in Kansas doing missionary work for my church and offering service to the community, being of service where I could be. And now I'm back home, just living ordinary life and getting caught up on some of the things I've missed over the last two years. Certainly a lot to get caught up on. And Thomas here has given me some good recommendations as far as that goes. Yeah. Well, awesome. Yeah. And so Dallin was, a, he was a regular on my old podcast where we talked superheroes a lot. And uh, I feel like we always together came, came up with some fun topics. And so it's great to have you back. And uh, I definitely missed, I really missed talking movies with you. So excited to have you here. So um, before we jump into like some of the, the main questions, just to get to know you a little bit better for like the guests or, or sorry, the, my listeners, what's, what would you say are some of like, things that you would say are unique about unique or interesting about yourself? Uh, well, I guess some of the more unique things is that I guess I, I'm re- I may be young compared to some of the other guests that you've had on the show, but uh, for the longest time I've done a lot of writing and, and work with, you know, filmmaking. Uh, some of the things that got connected to between me and Thomas here is just a shared love with, movies and for the last i want to say like eight years i've had a little website that i've maintained where i've written various movie reviews and little essays or you know articles about different aspects of filmmaking or different directors i've composed different film rankings and things like that and i've done a lot in the last few years uh prior to at least prior to my service in kansas i did a lot of the last few years with experimenting with filmmaking. I'm going to school to study filmmaking and I've got a great passion for going in. I've got a great passion for some of those things. And I think a lot of that's uh, based in some of the things that we've talked about in the past, Thomas, about, you know, superheroes and movies, but just, you know, I really enjoy writing about film. It's, it's very easy for me to write things. Uh, and I'm someone who, can write like a 1500 word essay you know when the prompt's only like 500 words i'm just that kind of writer unfortunately it comes off as word vomit a lot of the time so most of my time that i spend writing is just trying to make sense of it all and try to give some form of you know coherency to it all but you know the fact that i'm able to have written that i've been able to write like you know over 100 different pieces in the last eight years for the site, you know, and that any of it feels coherent at all is kind of a small miracle. But those those would be some things uh, that are unique about myself. It's just what I've been doing the last few years as far as that's concerned. Um, I I suppose a little more personal details about me would be that I 
traveled the world a lot in my life. And I think that's where you and I kind of connect over that is I live, <clears throat> sorry, uh, I lived overseas for quite a few years. And I think one of the places that I lived in is where, you know, I met Thomas and of course it was quite a while back then, but we yeah. managed to stay in touch over the years and we've gotten to connect over movies and that led to us doing a that, that last podcast that you had and you know feels great to be able to continue talking about movies with you so yeah. I, think, I think that's a as good an introduction as i can make it that's perfect yeah yeah and it's it's crazy because i was a missionary in australia when your your family was there and i think you were i don't know how old you were like this was because 2009 when i was serving in your guys's area um Seven seven years old, I think. Seven Seven or eight years old. So yeah, that's um, yeah, that's crazy to think because I yeah, and your family I know like had us over all the time, you know, like would have us over for meals and things like that, and so really got to know your parents, and then you you and your siblings were all so you guys were so little, like that's like my kids now, and then yeah, we you know I know I stay in touch with your parents on like social media, and then um. When you started doing your blog, you were like 14, right? 14 or 15 at the time? Yeah, I had just come out of middle school, so I was like 13, 14 at the time. Yeah, and so I, I think your dad had shown it to me, like sent me a link, and so then I started following along, and I was like, I, I, I loved your writing, I loved your style, and like your thoughts, and so I was like, oh man, I gotta get down on the podcast, and so anyway, it's been, yeah, that was like, yeah, like, I don't know, six, seven years ago, probably. Anyway, it's been a long time. Wow. That, that <laughs> 2017 long. is when I think I had you on the first time, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah, we weren't we like talking about like the, what was it? That was the first Thor movie, right? Because the Ragnarok yeah. one was coming out, and that was the first episode that we did. I think it was you and Matt, was it? Matt? Yeah. yeah. Brother, Matt, who joined us on that episode? Wow. Yeah. Serious. Long time. Yeah. So, um but yeah so um yeah good times it's been fun to like hear your style of movies and like your reviews and things so um and what kind of with that in mind like what kind of movies do you tend to gravitate to gravitate towards and like genres and whatnot but Uh, so because i've done a lot uh, since i started my my website writing about movies i've come to have more of an open mind you know i've come to enjoy several different types of movies uh this might sound funny because it it's kind of an indecisive answer but I'm kind of open to all genres uh, of course there are certain ones i have you know that, that are special that hold special places in my heart you know i like a good action film or a science fiction story um i'm i actually was doing a lot of homework on this question because you know being gone for two years i haven't thought about this in a long time so i was kind of like what are my favorite genres what do i really gravitate towards and so i went to the old letterbox app and went back to some old lists that i had written i'm like man there's surprisingly a lot of romance movies or romantic comedies on this list so i guess you know a few of those i i tend to enjoy you know you want like specific examples you know i enjoy films like you know say anything or when Harry Met Sally or, you know, Richard Linklater's uh, The Four Trilogy. I enjoy those kind of movies where it's you know, 
talking about romance, talking about life, talking about different uh, truths of life, all within the context of like short, self-contained stories. Um, you know, those are films that really I really gravitate towards. Um, other forms of film I I tend to enjoy are ones that you know kind of challenge uh, me either on a thematical thematic level or just the way that they're made. Like over the last few years, I've grown to especially love Christopher Nolan movies because, you know, he's a filmmaker who consistently does both. He toys with the structure of his movies and a lot of his movies play with the concept of time, either in a literal or figurative form. He also toys a lot with, you know, certain themes, universal dilemmas that all deal with like problems that we go through in life, you know, whether they be external problems that we encounter in the world around us or internal things that we might struggle with from time to time. I just find those stories really fascinating, you know, because they provoke a lot of thought and they get me thinking about some things I'm going through in life and help me to process a lot of what I'm going through. And they're very entertaining as well. It's not just they're, you know, like they're boring homework pieces to, to sit back and analyze. But, you know, I generally genuinely enjoy getting wrapped up into everything that he every story that he has to tell yeah i guess one other genre i really get into and this might sound strange but you know i excuse me i really enjoy a you know smart comedy you know things like groundhog day or office space or monty python and the holy grail yes i'm calling monty python and the holy grail a smart comedy but you know (laughs) Not for the reasons that you think. Not smart as in like, oh, it's really speaking on a high intelligent level. But, you know, they're either getting you in the feels or offering clever commentary or they're films that distract you with how many details there are, how many funny bits are either in the foreground or the background. You know, and especially with things like Monty Python, it kind of surprises you how smart one has to be to write you know, comedy that's entertainingly dumb, you know, just to watch that movie and hear the way that they talk and some of the things that they say. And it's like, man, this takes a lot of thought for something that seems so silly, you know, some things like that I, I really get into. So I guess I'm kind of a, a master of all trades, I suppose, maybe not master, student of all trades. You know, I like getting into all different forms of storytelling and seeing what there is to explore. I suppose one genre I'm not as well versed in would be horror films. Mm-hmm. Maybe I've seen like five horror films in my life. It's not exactly a genre I particularly enjoy, but I respect what it does for those who who do enjoy those movies. Yeah, I think well we're very similar with our 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 taste because I'm yeah I'm very eclectic and open to like most things, but I'm not. Horror is probably down on my list. Not that I don't, I do like a good horror movie, but it's not ones I usually seek out or watch as often. Um, unless I feel like maybe like a recommendation or compelled more towards like the thematic nature of the movie or something like that. So, but, um, and, and I had a thought though, you mentioned Christopher Nolan cause I'm a huge Nolan fan myself. And, uh, you know, um, I feel like he, yeah, like you said, he creates these movies that are both entertaining blockbusters, but then also can very, very much challenge you, like emotionally, psychologically, intellectually, 
thematically, you know, in so many different ways. And I think that because like there's a lot of movies out there that can do that to me, like challenge me, but maybe don't stay with me as much because or are not as rewatchable because they don't have the entertainment factors as strong. Like an example is like I was thinking of the movie Silence by the Martin Scorsese film. I don't know if you ever saw that, but I don't think I've seen that one. Well, it's it's a it's it's a beautiful movie and it's like very compelling, but it doesn't quite to me at least have that same entertainment value or like where I would go back and rewatch it as much where like, you know, Nolan's films usually kind of carry that. And I think that's what makes him so unique and stand out. But um, anyway, just a random thought I had, I guess. So. <laughs> oh, yeah, I I I kind of see that thought because you're right with. With Nolan movies, he's got this groove where he's able to take like what would ordinarily be uh, heavy subject matter, like The Dark Knight. He's dealing with morality and what's right and wrong. He's literally wrestling with key concepts that we work with every single day of our lives, uh, both in ourselves and in the world around us. But it's not that he's got it's not like he's doing that on its own. He's also got Batman and Joker being the the figureheads for telling those sorts of stories. So it's, it's a lot, there's a lot more room to play with that. It's not as maybe, maybe straight laced isn't the right word, but you know, it's not as formal. It's it's a lot more fun than that. And yet it's also pretty challenging in its own right. Right. So I kind of, so I kind of get where you're coming from. And yeah, there have been a few movies like that. I can think of where it's been like, yeah, that was a really great movie that I, don't intend to watch ever again kind of thing because it really yeah. is just the the heavy themes and everything to do with the way it's crafted to support the heavy themes that can be very overwhelming and you don't necessarily want to go back to those experiences those, those films over and over again but you do respect what they they do and what they contribute in terms of what stories they're telling or how they're able to impact the world for, for better or for worse. Who knows? There's so many different kinds of films that touch people on all sorts of levels. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, well, cool. Well, let's jump into the main questions then. So um, I'm really excited to do this with you. So let's start with the first one, which is what's one of the most meaningful films to you and what makes it so meaningful to you? So I guess, we have to get the obvious out of the way because I feel like I'm going to be mentioning this one quite a few times throughout this this uh, little podcast, Thomas. Um, very early on, when I was maybe like four or five, um, uh, without getting too specific or too revealing in terms of details, um, I had a background where I was dealing with various medical troubles and there were certain limitations that uh, I had to work with in terms of how I communicated or how I interacted with the world around me. And so one of the things I was able to do pretty consistently is just watch movies and, you know, visit different cartoons, whether they were the old Disney movies or some of the recent DreamWorks films that come out at the time. But one of the films that I would watch on a consistent daily basis would be Finding Nemo, the Pixar movie from, from 2003. That would be one that I go and watch on an endless loop. I'm sure if I, if I talk to my parents, I could recount to you more accurately just how many times 
I watched and rewatched and endlessly burned through that that DVD that we had of it um, just endlessly. Uh, that would be something I'd go through. And, you know, for some reason, I think um, I enjoy that one now dif- different for the reasons that I enjoyed it then. Because, you know, kids, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, kids, when they watch things, it's like, oh, it's bright, it's colorful, and it looks funny, and it's got, like, fart jokes in it, right? So it must be entertaining or it just triggers that source of entertainment in us. But yeah, I think over time, as I continue to watch that one more and more, I've just come to appreciate exactly how how it touches to the core of all shared life experience, you know, where it's the story of a father and son. So it's talking about, you know, parent child dynamics, but it's also talking about how we process the world around us and how we get exposed to different things in life, different experiences, different people and how we've got to work with what we've got and how we've got to stay persistent. I like I think I like the the way in, in that film that all the characters in it, you know, and it's strange that we're talking about fish representing, you know, all these things that we experience. But yeah, it's, you know, it's fish, it's toys, it's bugs, it's, it's cars, it's rat. robots <laughs> yeah. or a rat, you know, yeah. and, you know, that's, you know, Pixar was, was, I don't know. I haven't caught up on any of the recent stuff since I've been gone. So maybe it's still the case, but you know, there was that time where they would endlessly crank out films that, man, they just got to the heart of a lot of things that we experienced. And I think Finding Nemo represents maybe the pinnacle of that, you know, other films they might get more credit for because of how they're put together up being an example where it's, you've got that opening montage and you've got, uh, you know, an old gentleman as your main character where you don't really see that for mainstream family entertainment. Normally you got like a cute sidekick or a, you know, a young character to, for the kids to relate to. It's not an old crotchety guy, but for some reason they're just able to take, you know, unorthodox characters and make them feel as real as possible through great filmmaking means and definitely a great understanding of how to create empathy. Um, but going back to finding Nemo, just, I look at that film and I see a lot of myself in the characters, uh, not just the main ones, but maybe even the secondary ones. That's weird when you see you yourself kind of connecting to characters that aren't necessarily the ones that you're following through. But I think that's the sign of a, of a great film is when you're not just, connecting to the main ones but it's the secondary ones who you really invest yourself in even if you even if the film itself doesn't really spend as much time developing them sorry i apologize my voice is going to be giving out for throughout this whole thing it's oh all good we are i'm feeling that too so we'll we'll both just have to <laughs> power through it i guess yeah. <laughs> um so i guess that's one but the other one I wanted to mention that kind of was foundational for me getting into film was the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Um, so Thomas, you mentioned that you were you serving in Australia and that's where my family met you. Um, that was around the time that I got introduced to those movies. And so I think we moved there when I was about five or six years old and we, it was there that we started this 
family tradition of, you know, every Friday night we're going to get together and we're going to make a finger food dish for our dinner and we're going to sit down and watch a movie together. And more often than not, we'd be in between certain odd choices that my parents would introduce us to. It would be, it would come in between spurts of watching the Lord of the Rings trilogy uh, over and over again. And it's kind of strange that a six-year-old would watch that because you watch those films as an adult and like pretty, pretty violent at times, you know, pretty, pretty intense. You know, there's beheadings, there's all sorts of swordplay going on. And yet for some reason, it just never phased me. I don't know. That part of it never really phased me. I guess I was too distracted by just, I don't know, the scope of everything. And, you know, we talked about a few years ago, like, Films that feel like very weighty or epic. And those are my touchstones for those kind of films. Less Lawrence of Arabia or Ten Commandments and more Lord of the Rings. Not to say I don't enjoy those other two films. I do very much so. But there's just something about those three films and the way that they're able to tell this really grand, big, expansive story with a rich mythology. And yet it all seems so easy to follow. Like, yeah. And maybe this is just my point of view, but I've gotten to know other people more recently who have watched those movies growing up and they kind of get that too. They're able to appreciate everything. And yet also when they get old, they're able to appreciate the finer details, of everything, how everything's made and, you know, better appreciate some of the humor between characters. I don't think until recently that I quite got the humor and someone like Legolas until now, but I was going through a few clips from the movies a few days ago. I'm like, and people tell me I talk like Legolas and now I'm just starting to see it. (laughs) That's funny. Every time, every time I go back to those movies, I'm never going to be able to watch Legolas and be like, Hey, that sounds like something I'd say. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. for those of you who don't know, I've had friends or, or family tell me that, you know, for someone who's as young as you, you shouldn't have a complex vocabulary like the way that you do, or you shouldn't be saying things like how you say things. Why don't you use like contractions more? Why don't you use like the the cool popular slang? I guess I talk too much like from the 19th century or maybe even beyond. Yeah. <laughs> well. Beforehand. No shame in that. That's, I think that's just, you got a good, good vocabulary, like you said. So, um, yeah, it's, I, it's interesting you bring it, you brought up like the epic scope of it and how like there's these older films that like, like the Ten Commandments or something. And like, I, like you said, I, I love and appreciate that movie too, but probably Lord of the Rings is going to hit more. But one, probably just because maybe there's a generational part of it too. It's like, these are what we grew up with, whereas like other people grew up with those films. And like you can still have the same appreciation, but maybe it doesn't quite hit you as as strongly as like when you're a movie you've been watching since you're six years old, you know. And I mean, I was I was right. older when I first saw it. I was 13 when the first one came out. But, but yeah, growing up, my junior high years, it was every every year for three years, like the new Lord of the Rings and like that it was so exciting. And so, um. Anyways, yeah, it's I, that's a great. I, I appreciate you sharing that, and I also appreciate you sharing Finding Nemo because I know you've always been a big fan of it, but I didn't necessarily know all the details. And so it's cool to hear like some of the background of like your childhood and 
um, and how that movie was like such a keystone for you then and, and whatnot. So. Yeah, and, and there's probably other things I could share, but those two are what come to mind the most as far as something that's been consistently there that I picked up then and I've just taken with me even to today. Although I will say it has been a, a few years since uh, I've watched Finding Nemo, so maybe it's due for another rewatch here soon. Yeah. I'll have to say with Finding Nemo, I I liked it when it came out. I wasn't. I remember feeling kind of like, but also being like, because I feel like I got a huge like. There's a lot of praise for it, and it did very well financially and all that stuff. And I remember being like, "Oh, it's not as good as like Toy Story, the Toy Story movies, or whatever." And kind of like then being kind of like, "Oh yeah, it's okay." And then watching it as a parent, though, like with my kids, it's, it's I've totally grown to appreciate it more. And like I like I can relate to Marlon a lot, <laughs> being an anxious dad at times. And and uh, anyway, it's it's yeah, it's a movie that speaks to multiple generations i feel like and you can watch it and find yourself in those in those characters very well and even like the side characters like you said so um but yeah i guess something else i i forgot to mention this but i guess something else i don't appreciate or i didn't really appreciate about it until i got older was just how matter of fact it is like as a movie like these days i think you know where we got you know the minions as like the cornerstones for what family entertainment is now, or I don't know what, what people are into the last few years as far as what kids movies go, but you know, they're pretty, they feel pretty lightweight and yeah, they might have a thing or two to say, but it's generally just all the slapstick and gags and things like that. But something like that, you know, finding Nemo, it's got those slapstick bits and it is kind of silly sometimes, but, you know, it also opens with the death of a mother and her like unborn kids, and I'm I'm like, yeah, that's dang, you know, that's really heavy and dark, and you don't really see that, you know, in 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 kids films today. I mean, Disney's always famous for killing off the parent, but Pixar seemed to just take it a step further and like, we're not just gonna take him out of the way off screen, but we're gonna present you with what could be, you know very harsh realities of life and we're not going to really dwell on it but we are going to address it you know kind of in the way that they did it back when they did like bambi i want to say like you know harkens back to those films where it was yeah this is just a part of life kids get used to it and find a way to work with it and so i kind of appreciate that about that now more than i used to considering where we're at with what kids are watching or what they're spending time with i don't know i hear much about this mario movie that came out while it was gone i haven't caught up with that so maybe that maybe that has a weighty death or something like that i don't know but uh, it's pretty light but it's a mario movie i had fun with it my kids love mario right now that's like a big thing so we all had a good time with it it's not anything there's not a lot of depth to it but that i I don't for me i don't feel like i needed it to be but anyway so yeah, you bring up a good point. Watching, I was watching Lion King with my kids earlier today. Like we watched like the first 20, 30 minutes, and uh, so they're just asking all these questions about like Mufasa and Scar. I'm like, wait, they're brothers? Why is why is Scar not like Mufasa? And like, and then wait, he just killed his brother? Like, he, spoiler for Lion King, but <laughs> and anyway, in case just, you, yeah, in case you went through two versions of the Lion King and still don't know that, right? Um, and I mean that's a heavy thing for they're four and five years old to like you know a sibling killing another sibling but 
I do think it's like, and they didn't necessarily dwell on it. You know, they got wrapped up in the story and the songs and kind of moved on. But it's, I still think it's, yeah, like you said, you don't, I, I don't think it's, you don't want to hide things from kids that like, it's part of life, but also like do it in a way that's not like going to scar them, I guess. So, but yeah. Although I do know several people that watch things like that or they watch Monsters Inc. and they do get traumatized a little bit when they do get a little maybe scary. Yeah. I'm like, man, I never really looked at it that way. I just processed that and I moved on. I wasn't really traumatized by it. So maybe but, I was just a weird kid. Who knows? And again, yeah, I wasn't watching the with rings. People's own experiences with it, I think, too. Like if it's a relatable thing they're going through in life, it could be more. But yeah, it's so. Well, let's jump into the next question. Um, this is, I think, a fun one, but it's uh, what is your family movie? So, like, a movie that you and your family, like, you guys watched a lot growing up, maybe, or, like, you just quote a lot. Um, pretty broad to how you, would, how you could answer this, but what would you, how would you answer that one? Uh, so, uh, around the time that we started that tradition in Australia, where we did on Friday nights those, sorry, did on Friday nights those family movie nights. In fact, we called them like FFFF. I forget how many Fs there were to it. We called it like five different Fs. Finger Food Family Fun Film Night is what we called it. And so early on, we got into different films that my parents really enjoyed. And I think we kind of just latched onto that. But as far as any one particular choice, I think one that comes to mind would be Better Off Dead, you know, the John, John Cusack movie. I forget from what year it came out, maybe like mid or late 80s. But we quote that movie so many times, you know, gee, Ricky, I'm sorry, mom blew up. Or I'm not sure if you've seen this movie, Thomas. But there's I don't think I've seen it. Really? Dang. Yeah. Well, it's kind of a stupid movie. And, you know, it's got a lot of it plays very fast and loose with kind of morbid uh, topics. The basic premise of the movie is that this guy gets dumped by his high school girlfriend and tries to kill himself over and over and only to fail repeatedly. Uh, but, you know, it's pretty lightweight for something like that, you know, to be yeah. the premise of the movie. And there's so many things like the paper boy that taunts him, the I want my $2 or a movie like that. We just quote a lot. I guess another one that we probably quote equally as much as the 1991 film Oscar with Sylvester Stallone. I'm not sure if that's one that you know. But yeah. That was one that we watched pretty early on. And honestly, you know, it doesn't have the best reputation. Like if you go on Rotten Tomatoes, it has like pretty low percentage. We just find that movie hilarious. Like we go and watch that movie, uh, maybe not every few months, but certainly a couple of times a year, we'll go through that one together. And we'll, Tim Curry makes a small guest appearance in that movie. And he is probably one of my favorite performances of his because he's so he's in it. And then he's just so instantly memorable and quotable. Marissa Tomei is in it. Uh, mm-hmm. Of course, she was pretty young then. So you're like, hey, wait, this is Aunt May of the future Spider-Man movies here. In case that's what you know her from, um, but she's also pretty. She's also very funny. So those would probably be the two that we we watched a lot, and we quote a lot, and just random 
moments in time. We'll just be doing nothing and then somehow find a way to bring up a quote from either of those movies. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I love hearing stories like that, especially something more obscure or at least not as maybe popular because I've, I've never seen those. But like like for, for me, like one of ours is Home Alone 2. So not Home Alone 1 is definitely like a movie we watched, but Home Alone 2 was like, yeah, my brothers and my siblings and I, like my sister, we can, there's like so many obscure quotes from that that we'll just like say to each other all the time. And a lot of people may not get them, but for us, it's it's just, yeah, it's fun. So, um, yeah. So, well, cool. Well, let's jump to the next one. What's a, what film do you feel like you've watched the most in your lifetime? Um, I'm trying to not have it be the same answer as the one I gave to a previous question. I feel like Finding Nemo might be a strong competitor. A few others that I might have watched a lot, you know, there was a time where, and this might disappoint you, Thomas, considering this is the first time we've caught up in a while, but there, there was a time where I was watching a whole lot of superhero movies, and so a few of those would have been films I'd sit through repeatedly. Sorry to say, but in the last few years, it's probably gone down. Not entirely as a whole. There are some exceptions, but I've kind of branched out and t- gone into other different things. But back when I was a big fan of the Captain America movie, the, the Winter Soldier, that would probably had been one I watched a lot, especially when I was that age, you know, that it came out and I think it was maybe 13 or 14. I would just watch that movie pretty frequently and dig through different things. Um, uh, an older one, older being a relative term, um, would be Tron Legacy. Uh, that's a film that you and I have talked a lot a little bit here and there. I think that film came out when I was eight. Um, and I think uh, second to Finding Nemo and the Lord of the Rings trilogy, that's probably a film that I've just gone back to pretty frequently not as frequent as i did maybe when i was like 10 or 11 but i just revisit it here and and there and sometimes i you know when i'm going through a specific challenge i'll go back to it and it's one of those movies that i just learned so much from as far as again similar to finding Nemo and lord of the rings but just learned so much about life from and it's kind of weird because we're dealing with a film where much of it takes place in a digital world. And so you're like, what kind of life lessons are you, are you learning from a movie like that? But there's so much to those movies themes as far as, you know, how one views the world um, and oneself, you know, what one considers perfect and imperfect and how you deal with imperfections and how your imperfections are part of, partly what make you perfect you know depends on your definition of it and you have different characters in this movie dealing uh, going through their own imperfections and some of them are more resilient to it than others and others are more accepting of it and i think those perspectives that they portray in that movie have been pretty helpful to me as far as my formative years and learning to process different things that i go through in life thinking about what I consider, you know, perfect and imperfect, you know, dealing with flaws, either character flaws or flaws of the world around me, how, how we move on, even when a lot of that doesn't make sense, like on a, 
on a certain level just doesn't make sense. And yet when you approach it from a different perspective, it, it does. And, you know, weird that a Disney film at one point could do something like that, but it did. I don't know. There's, there's something about that one, man. I don't know what to tell you. Maybe it's that punk score or maybe it's Jeff Bridges playing maybe his second most laid back character since the dude in the big Lebowski, but I don't know. Just, there's yeah. a certain magic to that one, man. So I think that kind of answers that question. Sorry if I'm putting together kind of some of my previous answers, but a lot of these films that I have carried with me in life, you know, they kind of span your questions here. So I kind of have to name drop them, I feel like. Yeah, it's all good. I, I totally get it. These things blend sometimes and other stuff. So um yeah no worries and i think uh um just for real quick with the super Bowl thing i no no offense taken i i've i still love superhero films as well and i but uh i actually didn't see blue beetle which came out as a dc movie came out a couple of months ago i actually didn't see it in theaters that's like the first time i mean since i was like a little kid and i couldn't go to the movies by myself probably i didn't see a superhero film in the theaters so um not because i didn't want to just life circumstances and timing and stuff happen but um anyway so um well yeah tron legacy that's a good one i revisited that in 2020 and like definitely got a lot more from it than i remember initially the first time i saw it but yeah that's that's a good one so um all right so this next question is so first off um are you a crier do you cry in movies and if so what movie would you say has made you cry the most (laughs) so I'm kind of surprised, um, I don't know, at how many, because you first asked me what movie, you know, do you cry in the most, I think is the question that you yeah. asked me beforehand. And I thought, boy, how much time do you got? Because I cry in so many movies, man. Okay, um, so you cry in movies then. Yeah, most definitely. Because yeah. it's not like every single movie, I'm kind of at the midpoint between being easy to make cry and hard to make cry. I'm in the midpoint where you got to do some work, but it doesn't, it doesn't take too much. Of course, with certain studios, you know, they're, they're more prone to making me cry than others. Like been talking about Pixar. It's like name a Pixar movie. You didn't cry at, you know, it's like every, almost every one of their films, you got something where you're like, why am I tearing up? We're talking about like, you know, toys or, or fish here. What are you, what are you doing? Yeah. Um, but as far as a single film, I probably cried in uh, the most, you know, I got to say like that. There's this movie that actually turned 10 today that I've been thinking about recently. So I'll, perhaps I'll give that as my answer, but it's this movie called about time. I'm not sure if you've heard okay. of it before. Yeah. I've seen that one before. So, it's a, good it's a time one. travel movie. It's also a romantic comedy. It talks a lot about romance and and like a lot of other romance movies that I enjoy, it's got pretty good dialogue between the two leads. You know, I like I like movies where people just talk. You know, seeing seeing as I'm a writer and I'm learning to write, you know, different things and different stories, I kind of notice how a lot of my inspirations are films that just let two people talk for. A given amount of time maybe not the whole movie but they just have conversations a lot and that's one that i've 
gone back to many times throughout life and it just picked apart for different reasons but almost every little bit about that movie i think about and that just makes me i don't know man it, it just wrecks me it's it's interesting you know people talk about time travel movies and it's like oh yeah back to the future or 12 monkeys or some people say looper or something like that but that's probably one of my favorites because of how it's able to be so uplifting and, and life affirming you have this character you're following who's learning to navigate you know early adulthood and he's also trying to appreciate more the world around him and not let the responsibilities of life catch him up too much um and he uses his time travel in a way that helps him to better appreciate the days and, and not let it go by meaninglessly always taking each moment to notice something new and the way that they kind of portray that and the, the editing and the acting that you know you get you get to thinking about what are the most meaningful things of any day you've ever lived and i don't know there's just something in that 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 just wrecks me and you know it's a richard curtis movie so richard curtis you know he's got a penchant for making you cry some making me cry sometimes you know i don't know if anyone weeps at notting hill or four weddings and a girl but I do because I don't for some reason I get invested in those kind of movies um, but that's probably his peak because he's dealing with a lot more universal matters and things that we think about from time to time and I appreciate that there's films like that out there that can just feel like they're talking about you you know yeah they've got characters to represent these different issues but what they're really talking about is you you know they're representing your experience it doesn't matter what they look like or who they are what their passions are but their problems are so universal we always think about how much time we're spending at a certain thing or how much we're taking for granted and nice that we got films that can help us take a step back and make more meaningful use of our time yeah I'm trying my best to explain why I love this movie without welling up myself. It's kind of one of those things where I just have to approach it from a somewhat more dispassionate angle. Because if I really delve into the the full meat of it, then I'm just gonna be it's gonna be waterworks. Yeah. Well, you. That's all good. I. It's that is a really that's a really good one. when you as you're saying it i was like i need to revisit it because it's been a while and so like i remember the gist of it but there's probably like aspects of it that i i don't really remember as well and but i do remember being very moving and touching like movie um and i remember like that being some of the complaints though some people have is like it's too overly sentimental but that's never been a that's never been a thing for me i i don't really mind if a movie leans into that at least if it does it well so um and i feel like this one does did do it well so yeah and and i guess i can see that albeit it's a weird it's a weird criticism to have uh but who knows maybe i have had some weird criticisms of my own from time to time certainly i know there's probably stuff i've written that just doesn't make any sense you know about any film well yeah they go back to a lot of things and i'm like Wait, why was I thinking about this again? But yeah. Anyway, that's beside the point. I digress. 
Well, and we all and we all see things differently and feel things differently and experience things differently. So there's different we views on it. But apparently, I didn't know this until recently. A lot of people think Spielberg is very sentimental, overly sentimental in his movies, and I can see that, but I don't see that necessarily as a problem. So, but um, yes, that would that that is that is true. I you kind of can't see that. Um, man, I you bring up Spielberg, and I'm like, man, there's so many films that I haven't quite seen and i know that's kind of blasphemous considering i'm kind of someone who prides on going and exploring all different forms of film but man i, I look at his filmography i'm like man there's so much of that stuff that i haven't yet seen so maybe i just need to go into a spielberg marathon but of course that would mean watching a few films that might just wreck me for a few days yeah yeah i actually in 2020 i did I watched quite a few of his movies that I hadn't seen and rewatched some that I hadn't seen in a while. And I, you know, for some reason I just ended up getting distracted and moving on, but it's something that I want to go back and finish the movies I haven't seen. There's only a few left that I have to check off, but yeah, it's, uh, um, yeah, that's, those are, he's, I love Spielberg. So, um, all right, so let's jump to the next question. So it's, what's the first movie you remember watching? So whether this was like in the movie theater or, or, or at home, just like your first memory of a movie. I'm searching my I'm searching my memory, and I'm like, can I come up with an answer that isn't Nemo? Um, <laughs> that might be the that might actually be it. Um, I'm not. I can't say exactly if it was in the theater or if that was just at home, but that would probably be the first one I remember watching. There's other small ones that I, I remember watching from like early, like early age. Um, one might've been Beauty and the Beast, the animated, well, of course the animated one, because we didn't have the live action one like <laughs> that. But, uh, you know, a few of the older Disney films, um, old again, being a relative term, of course, something like, Lion King may not necessarily be old, but, you know, compared to like Snow White, but those are kind of the films I remember watching at an early age and kind of getting exposed to some of those ideas for the first time was very invigorating. There's a lot of, there's a lot of ones I, I could say, but I think, you know, Beauty and Beast, Nemo and Lion King would be a few of those that I remember the most, perhaps. Well, I mean, for some Nemo, or I mean, even Nemo, but um which that's 20 years old this year isn't it yeah 2000 oh good grief that's insane i didn't oh I, man i just showed my kids pirates of the caribbean because that came out 20 years ago um wow okay and, uh, and that i mean that was a very formative movie for me when i was well was like 15 no 14 when it came out but like um mind king will be 30 years next year uh, Beating the Beast came out 31 years ago, so I mean, it, those are old movies for my kids. Those are that's super old. <laughs> like we, act, like, yeah, watching Lion King today, I was telling them like, hey, my daughter's five, almost six, and I was like, Olivia, guess what? I was five when this movie came out, and that was like the way I see kids reacting to like Frozen is I feel like how I it was for me. Lion King was like that for me as a kid. Like it was everywhere. Everyone wore. Lion King stuff and like we were seeing the songs and you know it was just it's huge and I think that that's kind of like I feel like how Frozen at least maybe not as much anymore was kind of more like that but so were, 
was it just you or did your brothers get on that hype train as well? I'm curious. Um, I know like, so Matt was, see, he was four years older than me. So yeah, he definitely did. I know like, I remember my dad coming home with the soundtrack, the Han, well, it was, had the songs, the Elton John songs, but also had the Hans Zimmer score. And I remember him and I like, it's the, it's the music that plays, I can't remember the name of the track on the soundtrack, but it plays during Mufasa's death with the stampede. Like that was the first time I'd like heard anything like that. I mean, that was my first interest. I didn't, it wasn't until I was older that I realized that was Hans Zimmer, but I remember because I, yeah, I was five at the time, he and I like pretending to be lions and like wrestling and fighting. <laughs> um, so yeah, no, he definitely got into it. My older brothers, I don't remember quite as much because they were, my brother Mike was, yeah, he was like 12 and Spencer was 14. I don't know. Well, I can't remember how they were, but no, Spencer would have been like, I don't know, he's eight years older than me, so 14, yeah, so they were older, I don't know if they did as much, but, and then, like, my younger sister, I know she got into it as well, she would have been three at the time, so we all definitely, like, fully embraced the Lion King hype, and, yeah, it was it was a good time. <laughs> I, I don't know, I, I think about all those different ads that we have that we grow up around, it's kind of interesting how a lot of them kind of use the same there's the same tactics, but the subjects always change. It's just very fascinating to go through because that actually kind of is a spot on comparison. Because I remember, you know, Frozen, I wasn't as big a fan of as maybe other people were when that came out. But I definitely remember that being something that was everywhere. And then you got new fads coming out that people kind of give the same same treatment to. Like I heard about this Encanto film while I was out and people we don't talk about Bruno, you know, I, for the longest time I was like, we don't, who's Bruno? <laughs> that would, yeah. That'd you be talking about kid. Yeah. Uh, and then I, I think I watched that for so something, <clears throat> something to keep in mind is um, missionaries. We don't typically watch a lot of movies. We typically, our focus is a lot of our, our work and serving the community. And so we don't keep up on that stuff, but, one of the few times we are allowed to watch movies is Christmas time. And so last Christmas, I remember watching that with some of the missionaries I was serving around. And I was like, hey, I finally get it now. I know what Bruno is. And of course, like everyone else, I presume we don't talk about Bruno. It's just in here for for days on end. Yeah. I don't know how they're still able to make even after all this time songs that just, you know, it's like musical tapeworm. It's just. It's in there, and then it overrides everything else that's in your head that you're trying to also remember. Yeah. When you're Disney. Yeah, Encanto was huge. It's funny because it didn't do well at the box office. I mean, it did okay, but uh, it came out, like, I think right before Thanksgiving, and then it hit streaming, like, I think it was Christmas Eve, because I remember I took my daughter to see it. She was four at the time, and then, on yeah, when it came on Disney+, Plus, we we watched it. But it was, like, for at least, like, a month on repeat constantly in our house you know my kids were always watching it we haven't really gone back to it but it was definitely a huge huge touchstone for there for a little bit i don't think it made the quite the impact that like frozen or lion king did but i mean it's still i don't know it still is pretty it's, it's pretty it's been a, it was a pretty big popular thing so um all right so what's what's a film that's been a source of comfort for you during a difficult time in your life There's a few interesting answers that I can give to this one. Um, 
I think I might go with something that's a bit lighter for the for the sake of this kind of form, this kind of uh, kind of interview that we're having, Thomas. I think I'm going to choose when Harry met Sally. That one's kind of a, a weird one to to choose. But although so many times in my life, especially the last maybe four years, I could say, you know, I watched that film for the first time maybe when I was like 16. So it hasn't been that long. And that's like, what, five years for me? That's one in recent time I've gone back to. And I'm, I'm even now going back to and I'm appreciating more of uh, what that's done for me as far as far as being a source of comfort, just having a, a self-contained movie about relationships that spans, I don't know the exact timeline that it spans, but, you know, there's, there's an interesting structure to that film where you follow this, these two people from their college years to going out and striking out in the world and trying to pursue relationships, trying to pursue careers. And, I am always fascinated by Nora Ephron. That's the person who wrote the movie. Rob Reiner directed it in, in case you might want to know something. He also did. He also did The Princess Bride. That's something that everyone knows him for. Uh, but together, they they make this story that's all about people and love and what love means for for different people uh, and how to extend empathy and, and build friendships and create connections where maybe personalities are entirely divergent. Like you've got Billy Crystal playing a person who's, you know, very cynical, has a very, you know, he would even admit in the film itself as has a very uh, big dark side to him where he can be very jaded and his points of the view uh, points of view on, on the world are very morbid versus someone like Meg Meg Ryan's character Sally, who's you know maybe a little reserved and a little more open-minded though than he is, and a little bit more of an optimist, and maybe per- does cross over in terms of <clears throat> in terms of personality, but also diverges quite clearly and. I appreciate watching those two come together first as acquaintances, then as kind of frenemies, if you want to call it, and then friends. And then, you know, they become lovers and then they become more to each other all over the course of the story. And interwoven with this main story are different couples being interviewed. Sure, they're not real life couples, but they're just talking about meaningful experiences that brought them together, how they were from two different worlds or two different backgrounds and how they came together, came together. And for me, you know, navigating the world today, um, I try my best not to get caught up in how a lot of the time things feel divided. You know, a lot of the time we feel like we're, we're trying, we're, we're short on things that tie us together. We're all focused on what sets us apart and, who's who and who's with who and who believes in what and where and why we lose sight on all the universal things that we bring Keep using that word for some reason in this interview like universal whatever you want to call it but things that we all go through and we all experience regardless of where we come from or what we have 
have have gone through that we can still come together and form any kind of relationships doesn't have to be romantic doesn't even have to be even how we could talk with people and engage with people and I think that's where I also get a lot of my vocabulary from because I don't like I go out and hang out in social activities with people my age and I talk more like the characters in the movie versus the the people that are around me where it's a lot less formal and perhaps it's a lot less I don't want to say it's a lot less meaningful because there is meaning in that form of communication. I just haven't figured it out. But to me, from my point of view, we're not always talking about the things that either I'm interested in or think about or that the characters in in the movie talk about. Maybe I'm going on for too much about this, but I don't know. Divided world, forget how well people can connect with each other. And that's a great reminder that, hey, no matter what, you're going through you can find connection you can find meaning and and the most unexpected of places and it's a very strange way to deliver that message granted i'll give you that much but it's one that i really connect with yeah well that's awesome yeah that's one that i haven't seen in a long time so it's uh i need to revisit it because i'm like i feel like i watched it with my mom when I was a kid and probably haven't seen it since. So, but yeah, that's, that's cool. I, I, I appreciate hearing your, like kind of how you find comfort in it. And then also like you like view different things in the world from it. So, um, well, cool. What's a, what's a movie that's like, what movie do you think has made you laugh the most? So I've got two clear answers for you. Uh, one of the easiest questions to answer out was this one. Either Monty Python and the Holy Grail, classic, everybody loves and knows that one, right? And then the other one would be Tropic Thunder. Oh, yeah. So, two, like, you want to talk about movies that are opposite of each other, like, that's pretty, that's pretty as opposite as you can get in terms of comedy and what what the subject matter is and what they're making fun of and how they make fun. But so I'll start with Monty Python. Monty Python, I just enjoy because, you know, like everyone else enjoys it. It's endlessly quotable. It makes absolutely no lick of sense. And yet somehow you buy every minute of it because the people behind it are smart enough to come up with the most stupidest of scenarios. Like the, the scene where they're answering the the trolls question to get get on the bridge and yeah. get across what's your favorite color easiest <laughs> question in the world can't answer it with a worth a darn you know or you know and then he gets posed with you know what is the you know something about swallows i can't i forget the exact line difference between an african african or european swallow and Stuff you just don't think about and yet turns into some of the silliest and laughable stuff that you could imagine. You know, stuff with the they're not riding horses, but they're pretending they're riding horses because they're clapping coconuts together as they they travel. It's just the stupidest stuff. And you don't know why it works. It just does, I guess. It's far different from other movies of its kind where they try to do 
the same thing. They try to not make any sense. They try to be dumb and stupid, but they miss that little touch. They, they miss that little ounce of intelligence that they give it that makes it all credible and keeps you acting with the movie rather than, you know, add it for failing to do what it's set out to do. Um, just one of the, the funniest, slightly inappropriate, but one of the funniest movies that you could see. And on the other end of the spectrum, we have a movie that is totally laugh out loud, totally hilarious. You could argue wildly inappropriate, and I won't argue the point. <laughs> I won't argue that point with you. Uh, uh, movies and Tropic Thunder. So being someone who, you know, from an early age has been very much into movies and how the technicals of everything work, a movie that satirizes age-old Hollywood traditions and tropes would seem to naturally appeal to me. But it's almost like you have... You have Ben Stiller, who's the director here. He also stars in the movie, of course, who, who's been in the business. He's clearly got all the knowledge. But he just has the most out there ideas, man. And it, again, it shouldn't work. Why am I, why am I laughing at the most ridiculous of, of scenarios where we've got these crew of people who are just, the worst, you know, you, these people would in all reality be a nightmare to be around if you met them in real life. Like, you'd just be having the worst time. You're, you're having the, the best time possible watching their story unfold. And, of course, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the, the main thing that had me rolling when I first watched it. I got a few minutes into this movie for the first time, and I had to take a 20-minute pause because I was rolling on the floor <laughs> when Robert Downey when Robert Downey Jr. enters the film and he's playing his method actor character who's he's playing a dude dressed as a dude disguised as another dude um, that dude of course being an Australian playing an African American so preposterous so stupid and it had me rolling on the floor because every single line of dialogue and the way he he said it and delivered it just was so gut busting. Like I think I had to go to the toilet twice because I kept laughing so much. <laughs> it was and and no matter how many times I've gone back to that one, the comedy has always just straight A's, you know, with with how irreverent. <clears throat> with how irreverent it can be and how inappropriate granted it can be, but also how weirdly moving it is, which you also kind of laugh at because it's, it's emulating the things that it's also satirizing. And it also knows that it is ridiculous for that. Just a movie that makes no sense whatsoever. And yet always makes me laugh. So I guess we've got two movies that are, very different, yet I love it for similar reasons. Yeah, well, I feel like they're in a lot of ways they're like both stretching what you can do with comedy, you know, like doing different things. Um, so, and I, um, I need, to, I haven't seen Tropic Thunder all the way through yet. I have seen most of it, I think, but I've like watched it and 
when I came, it came out when I was on my mission. And I remember watching it a little while later with my brothers, kind of like I, they were watching it and I kind of came into the room. And so I saw like the second half of it. And then I remember, um, staying at a hotel a couple years later and just flipping through channels and I like, and it was just starting. So then I like saw the beginning and I, but I didn't get a chance to sit and watch the rest of it, but I need to sit down and watch it all because yeah, I, I loved what I saw. I thought it was hilarious, but yeah, that's, that's a good one. And Mighty Ponton, I didn't watch this since I was a kid, but that was another big, like one. I remember going to my buddy's house and they'd always have, like his belly would always be watching it. And so we just go watch it. And like, to me, I think the biggest thing that always stayed with me that I thought was so funny was when, the his, there's like that random historian guy talking and they they kind of ride by and like slit his throat <laughs> like yeah, it's just like so what? yeah so yeah good good and choice. then that becomes a thread for the movie later on as them trying to solve the murder of this guy yeah. <laughs> wow um, and they yeah, were I, I, I can't remember a lot of the rest of the movie to be honest because it's been since i was younger but that was, there's like images of it you know, the guy, the knight that's like, you know, he chops his legs and arms off. And anyways, just, yeah, there's so many silly parts to that. But, um, yeah, sorry, but we're going to add something. Uh, I don't know. With those, there's, there's plenty of other movies that make me laugh. But in terms of, like, what we get, like, absolute funniest, like, could rewatch over and over again and still find it funny and never have it lose its humor. There you go. Yeah. I'm I might be weird for that. No, those are those are good picks, so I don't know. Um, okay, cool. Well jump into the next one. It's kind of switching gears, but what's what movie's been difficult for you to watch or get through? And maybe what was it that was challenging for you about that? So there's different kinds of films that are challenging to sit through. Obviously there are ones that are challenging because it can hit too close to home or the subject matter is particularly heavy and it's just that you know difficult to get through it's this is one question that's kind of hard for me to answer because maybe maybe unlike some of your other guests thomas i i'm not i'm not one to go into kind of films willy-nilly kind of like hey i hear good things about this let's pop it on whatever i'm gonna do a little bit of research on it, maybe look into what it's about or maybe kind of the messaging of it all and whether or not this is something I want to engage with. Because there have been a few films that I saw, you know, early on when I was trying to explore different things that just, you know, I watched and it just made me feel awful for a few days. Not because it was a bad movie, but it was just a well-made movie that, you know, honest to goodness, just, took you out of commission like i remember this might actually turn into a funny story of sorts but i remember my freshman year of college we had in our history class an assignment to watch us a, a select number of history films about a certain era and i can't remember what the full list was but the one i ended up choosing was 12 years of slave and for a previous assignment i had read the the book that it's based on and so i thought Oh, might as well. I I read the book and wrote a report on it. So might as well for this other assignment, watch the movie, right? You know, kind of compare the two in the process. And my goodness, you know, if there's, yeah, I mean, that's a hard talk movie. about a film that's yeah. just 
that just I somehow managed to sit through that all in one sitting. Normally with other films that are pretty difficult to watch, I have to space them out. Like, you know, a little bit after I watched that one, I watched Terrence Malick's The Thin Red Line. Incredible movie. Wonderfully acted. Oof, like, that took me like three different viewings to sit through because it was just so rough. Uh, but with the 12 Years a Slave one, I just watched it all and I I distinctly remember after giving it some time to settle, I was like, okay, enough settling. I need to, because I got things to do. I need to be able to, to work all right. So I put on some music that I listened to and I, I tried my best to carry on throughout my day and, and went on to do some other things. But at the end of the day, I was like, okay, I, this isn't working. I need to watch something that, is is pretty uplifting. So what do I go do? I go and watch. So one of the Oscar nominees for Best Picture that year was this little film called Minari. And I'm not sure if you know too much about it, Thomas. No, I don't, yeah. But I was under the impression, largely because this is what I had been sold to by my film class at the time, is like, yeah, that's a pretty, you know, it was a, you know what? fun movie maybe not a comedy but had fun elements to it but and i won't spoil anything about it in particular but the the general gist of the movie is that it's about this it's about this family of of korean americans who start a farm in arkansas and they try to go out and live out the american dream as most, uh, you know, like you do, I guess. And it just follows their, their story and their challenges. And yeah, it was fun for a little bit. And I'm like, man, this is doing just the trick. And then like halfway through, it just excellent. I'm like, great. Not again. I got the double whammy, double whammy for today. So yeah. it's just, there's a whole host of films. <clears throat> Sorry. There's a whole host of films that I've watched that just made me feel awful, not necessarily because they were bad, but because they were just so well made. But the subject matter was just so hard to sit through. Uh, yeah. I watched Goodfellas uh, once. I'll probably never watch it again because I was like, hey, you know, I enjoyed, uh, you know, it's Martin Scorsese. So naturally he's, he's a gifted director and certainly enjoyed the performances, but I just, just think I have a hard time doing things I want to do in life with a lot of those films in my system. So I tend to be careful about what I watch. If you want films that perhaps touch more personal nerves for me, um, maybe this is one that you've gotten before, but I really, and, and, this was kind of a mistake because I thought to stop it halfway through and I didn't, but I watched the Joker film with Joaquin Phoenix. And I don't know, that one just didn't sit right with me for a completely different reason. Cause yeah, it was well made, but so many films of that kind are more concerned with living in the, the depressing nature of it all you know there's 
there's so many that like to explore these topics, but it's all one sided. It's all we're going to we're going to dump this uh, whole bunch of harsh, harsh truths on you. And mm. and I kind of struggle watching those movies and something about that one just. Set me off in a way I feel like no other forget comic book movie, but no other film had done before to that point. And I just, I thought to stop it halfway through it. I didn't stop it halfway through. I thought, mm, I've gotten this far. I see how it ends. And yeah, it was thought once. I'll never see it again. Kind of wish I didn't see it, but yeah, that could be one that answers the other side of this. What I feel yeah. is like a two sided question in terms of, I don't, so uh, that's the thing I don't get about so many films. It's like a lot of these that do get up for, Oscars and things like that and major awards and recognition. It's like no one can deny that they're wonderful, well-made, but hardly rare, rare is the day where you watch a movie that's considered an Oscar contender and leave it feeling good and ready to go on in life doing ordinary day activities. You just feel kind of awful and kind of down in the dumps and, yeah, explains why I'm a little bit more careful about my choices. Maybe I'm going too much into detail, but no, this is this my personal point of view about it all. Yeah, no, I mean, you bring up a good point, though. I mean, I think like there's, I know there's different. I feel like a movie like Twelve Years a Slave. It's a movie that like it's really hard to watch because you're you're literally like living through slavery, slavery. Like you're witnessing it, you're experiencing it with, obviously it's recreated, but it's supposed to be accurate to what was going on. And that's not an easy thing to do like that's And but it's also an important to me. I think that's a really important film because that is something that I think as a society, we should not ever forget how terrible that was. So we don't make those same mistakes again, even though, I mean, we don't we're not there's not slavery right now, but there's still a lot of injustices in the world. But it's still, I think, important, but doesn't mean doesn't mean you need to. For me, at least, I don't feel like I need to rewatch that one. You know, I saw it and I was moved and I was disturbed and I was affected and I can, you know, hold on to that. But, but yeah, like Joker is one, though, that I feel like is kind of difficult to it's still difficult for me to even figure out my thoughts on it, because I I think it's a very well made movie, but I don't know how I feel about every choice the, the film takes. Um, another one, I don't know if you ever saw it came out in 2020. It was like a Netflix one. It was called The Devil All the Time. It had Tom Holland in it, and I heard about that one. Yeah, it's uh, it's got a really great cast. Like a lot of superhero actors, like um, you know Robert Pattinson, he becomes Batman. But it had um, uh, Sebastian Stan in it. Um, I can't remember the rest of it. But anyway, that is one of the most disturbing movies I ever saw, and I like. It was very like it just stayed with me for a while and left me feeling very like yeah just difficult feelings I guess afterwards but uh, it's it's well done and Tom Holland is like he acts he's incredible in it like he does very well but it's just I I wouldn't necessarily recommend it or watch it but it was just it was one that stuck with me so yeah to get a better I guess for you listeners out there to get a better taste of how I approach movies it's not that a film can't address hard topics that's not at all what i'm saying um of course there are a lot of things that we do need movies about so that we can 
not fall back into those same habits. Um, I guess what I kind of lean towards enjoying more is films that can bring me to that dark place, but then be like, here's what we're going to do about it. We're not just going to leave you here down in the dumps, but we're going to offer our own point of view perspective about like, like, I think I'm not, this is a weird one to bring up. We're talking about hard movies to watch, but the Disney film Tomorrowland, I'm not sure if you know that one. Yeah. But that would be like an example of like, it's a film where we've got to save the world. And the argument that the villain has is that, well, the world is only the way it is is because you guys mucked it up and you guys, you know, your, your negligence and your slothfulness and your preference for things that made you comfortable are what messed you up. So that in of itself is like a hard pill to swallow, but the outcome of the message of that movie is all right. Yeah, we, yeah, we do that to ourselves and we can make things harder for ourselves in the world around us, but here's what we're going to do to forge a path forward. Here's what we're going to do to try to make things better. Not that we're going to fix things entirely, but that there's hope for a better tomorrow. I guess there's, that's the kind of movie that I enjoy as opposed to something that's just life sucks, you know, and, and, and credits kind of thing, you know? Well, I think that's where, I love Nolan is because he, he, I feel like he teeters that line like perfectly. I mean, you look at the dark Knight as an example, it's a really dark movie and you could even say it ends on a sour note. I mean, Batman's the fugitive and Harvey Dent, like it to me though, I think it's, it's, it's powerful because it is saying both things are true. The things that Joker says are actually, there's a lot of truth to what he's saying about how human beings, like we can be terrible and despicable and like, you know, he's like the line where he's like, the chips are down. These people like they will. I think he's like, I'm totally butchering it, but they'll eat each other. Basically, I think is what he says. And he's not wrong, but he's also not right. Because, you know, like Batman and the people of Gotham do show that like, hey, no, we're bigger than this. We can like watch out for each other. And so I think that movie is perfect in balancing that because it does delve, goes into the darkness while also like still having hope uh, as well. And so I feel like Nolan does that so well in like almost all of his movies though. That's just the one that popped in my head first, but like he does a really good job at bringing up both of those, those elements. So. Yeah. And that's a perfect example. I couldn't agree more because I think that's one of the reasons why I love that one is it's just, it's so good about bringing you to feel that, that side of the argument, but also Hey, yeah, that's how it is. Some, not sometimes, but that's how it can be. Here's what we're gonna do and try to make the best, yeah, best of it. Right. You know, work with the lemons, I suppose, that we we're, we're handed in life. You know. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, switching gears, what's what's one of the most inspiring movies you've ever seen? <laughs> so, there's, I get it. I, this is a particular. Uh, genre of film. I don't know if inspirational film is its own genre. It should be. I feel like if there was a list of films that you know people could go to that was like, hey, this is inspirational. I feel like that could help out a lot of people. Maybe there are, and maybe I just haven't looked it up. But in the yeah. same way that you got like comedy and drama being their own genres, I feel like we need like 
set aside a genre for films that are inspirational. But anyway, uh, one I go back to a lot, and this might be really weird, uh, considering what the what it is. Actually, you know what? I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna choose a different one for this one. Yeah. I'm gonna go to a superhero movie. Why not? <laughs> I think one that I go back to a lot and that really does inspire and does get me to feel not just good about myself, not that I need much of that, but like good about life and motivated to go forth in life, doing the things that I want to do despite all that's going on is uh, Spider-Man 2, Sam Raimi film. That might be my, <clears throat> darn this voice thing. <laughs> That might be my new favorite superhero movie of late, even more than something like Winter Soldier, which I think back in the day when we were doing that other podcast, I said was my favorite superhero film. Something about that movie has just resonated more to me in recent years because in the in the age that we we live in where there's there's so many talks about responsibility in life and there's so much about ourselves that we're still learning you know we're 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 trying to figure things out while also having to deal with so much in our own personal lives and in the world around us uh, that's one that's helped me a lot and helped uplifted me because peter parker's journey in that one is about trying to manage all that he's got going on in life while continuing to do the things he absolutely should do you know he's spider-man be a positive force for good. Halfway through the movies, like, man, life just is too hard. I can't, I can't do this good. Being, being good for others, doing good in my community, hasn't been good for me so far. It's just, you know, where I've done well in this part of life, I've just suffered in my own personal life, and I'm, I'm sick of it. You know, and I can't tell you how many times I felt, especially in the last two years, where I was like. I'm just trying to do the best I can. I, I try to do what I ought to be doing and it doesn't feel like a lot of the time I'm making a good impact. And, you know, sometimes you do want to throw in the towel. Sometimes you do want to give up and be like, hey, I'm just Peter Burker. I'm Spider-Man no more. Throw it away. But the ultimate outcome of that movie is that, yes, there are things in your life that conflict with what life will often throw at you and what your responsibilities are to as far as the people around you and what you can do in the world around you. But there is a way, there is a way you can do both. Not that you're going to do both perfectly and you will have to make sacrifices on some front. You will have to maybe cut things out that aren't necessarily, aren't, <clears throat> aren't necessarily helping you out much and make room for things that, are going to be of better use for you. I think the scene from that movie that's played in my head uh, the most over the last few years is just that scene between him and the doctor. So here we are. We've got this major studio superhero movie. My favorite scene is just two guys in the doctor's office talking together. And what he has to say about, you know, identity, you know, that's a big, you know, as he says, it's a big one, big issue. A lot of us have to constantly work that out, and it feels like that's never set in stone. We always have to keep readjusting that. You know, we always have to keep asking ourselves, 
you know, who really are we? You know, what make us us? And I love the line in that movie where he says that, you know, got to make you mad not to know who you are because your soul disappears. You know, nothing's as bad as uncertainty. And, and that being the problem that he faces throughout the whole movie is something that all of us can get behind because so many different times in life where we just simply don't know who we are and we need to be reminded. And I like that very, very clearly and so effectively the film is able to remind him that yes while the world is difficult and while he gets flack from a lot of people people are also kind for every per, for every j jonah jameson there's that neighbor's daughter of his, uh, of his who hey would you like a piece of cake you know just to be reminded that people are kind that there are people that are going to do good deeds and that even though that you'll be put through the ringer, you might have to, you may not have to save a train load of citizens, but you will have things in life that will make you feel like you just, you know, your limbs were just stretched their ultimate breaking point. And rather than throw the towel and be like, okay, I'm done, just get that reminder afterward that people are kind and people are considerate and people are going to look out for you. It doesn't necessarily mean that's going to be all the time, which is the unfortunate truth of the world, but you are going to find those people. They do exist, and you should always be willing to go forth in life putting that best foot forward. You shouldn't be caught up in in, in, in all the division and all the hate and the fear and panic and what people are afraid of. You should focus more on the kindness that can be found, you know, count the little things, name them one by one and, and see exactly what, see exactly what life is all about. I don't know. I'm try. I tried not to try not to get on a, I don't know if the sound is sounding like someone who's on a soapbox right now. I apologize if it does to you and to listeners out there, but it's just something about that one that's resonated to me in recent years that I didn't quite, like we did a podcast episode on that one, Thomas, I believe. So I think back then I enjoyed it and I might have enjoyed it for similar reasons that I do now. But I think over the last few years as I've gone out on my own and, and, and seen things in life and had more experience that just that's a story that particularly resonates to me and, you know, helps that movie transcend anything what you might call like a superhero movie. That's just. That's a great film, pure and simple. We don't need to put any qualifiers on it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I'm with the more the older I get. I mean, I loved it when it first came out. I saw that Midnight Showing 2004 and loved it. But it's one that I, I just have more appreciation for. For all the reasons you said, there's just so much, so many layers. And I think thinking about it, like, you know, he's wanting to give up being Spider-Man. And a core piece of who he's become um and i think like there's i think there's times in life where we are doing something pursuing things and we might have to give that up because it becomes detrimental to our lives or our health or whatever um and that happens but there are certain things that, that at times like you know even if it's hard like is giving that thing up or leaving that the right thing like for example for me like I, being a parent can be really hard at times and i not that I would ever want to give up my kids. I'm not saying that. So I hope no one misinterprets that. But 
there's times where it's like, well, life would be easier if, if I didn't have to take care of these little people all the time. And, but that's not saying that's, and then so I can identify with that feeling that he's going through, I guess, of like, and like Spider-Man being like something that he's called to do, you know, if like Peter Parker had a purpose in life, like that would be probably not the only sole thing, but part of it. And so anyway, it's, it's really, yeah, it's very inspiring because you see him like find, make peace with that in the movie. Um, and, yeah. We've uh, got to come to love it. That's what's so great right. about that. One. It's just, there are some things in life that, We've got to come to love, not that we not that it's an easy process or that, you know, there's there's going to be. Even even after we've we've come to love it, it might not be even after we've come to love it, it might not be easy easy to keep it. You know, still, we'll have to keep asking ourselves, is it all worth it? And the answer is always yes, because for all the things, you know, that it might do that you might see as detrimental, you know, there's a million more, so many more things that it does do good for you. And not even just about you, just for the people around you because of what you believe in and what you represent. And I like that. That's also a part of the story too, that it is people being inspired by what he does, that it is people seeing what he does and extending him that same, that same courtesy. Yeah. Dang, I'm just. Good point. I'm trying not to get a little emotional right now. I'm just. Uh, that's a good one. That's a good yeah. one. Let it out. Let it flow through you. I'm just kidding. Let the uh, flow. Um. Yeah. No. It's it's a it's a great one. So I appreciate you sharing your thoughts on that. Um. Okay. So what is one of your favorite movie quotes? So. <clears throat> Uh, so the answer to that one would be from the Tron movie, Tron Legacy. The uh, I can repeat the scene to you word for word. I'm not going to because that would take long. But it's that final scene before they escape the grid. Uh, Jeff Bridges, both Jeff Bridges characters. So for you listeners out there, Jeff Bridges plays two different characters in that movie. He plays the character that he did in the original movie, Kevin Flynn, who at that point in the story has been trapped in this digital world and has had to deal with this clone of his also played by Jeff Bridges named clue. And the final scene of them together in that, in that space, they have this conversation about uh, basically what I talked about before when we were talking about movies that have particular meaning, you know, about perfection, about what is perfection? What is, what do you consider to be perfect? Is it something that's, flawless or is it something that it that is imperfect and the quote that i have carried with me ever since i watched that movie when i was eight years old you know i've never forgotten it has been the thing about perfection is that it's unknowable it's impossible but it's also right in front of us all the time you know, perfection about uh, you know in terms of making oneself free from flaw you know in terms of what we consider flaw who knows that might be you know, that answer might vary from individual to individual, but challenges what we consider flaw. You know, the whole arc of the Olivia Wilde character in that movie is she's said to be this great, you know, this is a weirdly uh, spiritual movie 
you know, she's part of this race of programs that just manifested out of nowhere. Said to be like this great miracle or whatever. Also said to be very wise and beyond any intelligence that human or otherwise exists. And yet in the course of her story, we're seeing her make all these mistakes that clearly do rattle her. You know, and the main message of that movie is that it's okay. You make mistakes. You're not perfect. In fact, it's because you're not perfect that in a strange way you are perfect. That no matter what choices you might make in life, it's not over. And there's always a point to it all. It's not meaningless. There's something more to it that that might click with you in the very moment that it happens. might not click with you until years on down the line. You know, having watched that movie semi-routinely since I was eight, I've definitely, a lot of my life experience and realizations about myself have been encouraged and sparked in part, no small part, by this movie, you know, that asks these questions. And I'm grateful for movies like that, that can go and be that meaningful. So, again, I feel sorry to get like a stereotypical, waxing, philosophical, I don't know what, what, what kind of cliche you want to call it, but that's just something that just continues to resonate. And I feel like will continue to resonate the more I do things in life and the more I see, the more I learn, the more people I interact with. I think that that's a great message that everyone should at one point learn is that it's not necessarily about what flaws you have or what mistakes you've made. What matters more is what you've done with that and how that's been more of a help to you, not a hindrance. You've got to learn to change that perspective. You've got to learn to change that vantage point. And, you know, in the conversation that that quote comes from, one has been able to have that 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 shift. But the other one, largely because he's quite literally a relic, a version, <clears throat> a version of himself when he didn't know that lesson, because he is un- incapable of change, he has to, unfortunately, live with that. But the great thing about that is that that's not the case for us. We We don't have to live with that forever we have the opportunity to go forth and and learn and and grow thankfully yeah that's a good one and and i not one that i necessarily like i thought or or know as well because but i can picture the scene perfectly though as you're describing it and like i said last time i watched it that moment stood out to me i like to all the things you said but just like i like it's impossible to know but also it's right in front of you all the time like that. That's powerful to me too, because it's like we search and strive for perfection so much. I think as human beings or feel the need to do that. But like, I mean, there's so many perfect things as well. Like, you know, just like the, the trees in front of us, you know, the, what the things that are around us, there's so many different things that can just be perfect as they are. And I, that's kind of the sentiment I guess I, I hear from it as well. So yeah, exactly right. And I don't know. I almost want to be like, hey, can we do like a, a worldwide re-review, re, re a retrospective of this one? Because that one doesn't exactly have the best 
reputation. Uh, fortunately, the guy who made it went on to make like Top Gun Maverick, so he's doing pretty well, obviously. But I almost feel bad for that one because more people, more people just need to see it. You know, there's so many things that are in that movie that cool action, yes, and I. Lord knows I love that score. That's probably my favorite film score there is, is that Daft Punk score. But it's it's not just that. It's not just the style. It's not just the atmosphere. And it's not just, oh, look at these laser discs that are being thrown through the air. It's there, There's more to it. And I just feel like more people need to see it for those reasons. Yeah, you're making me want to rewatch it, so. <laughs> <laughs> um all right, well, let's get to our last question for tonight. So, um, and this one, you know, you can answer it in a lot of different ways, but it's one way I guess I like to think of it is like there's like a like a movie that you feel like represents who you are or would you'd want people to understand you more through the film. So the question is, and you can answer it still however you prepare, but if you had to give one film out as a gift to every new person that you meet for the rest of your life, what movie would that be? So I'm not going to do one of the ones I've mentioned before. Maybe this is one that I name dropped beforehand. I'm not sure. I'm going to have to go back and and review it. But I would give a copy of Before Sunrise, the the Richard Linklater film, for people I meet. Uh, I guess since it's hard to find the movie individually, I guess I would just have to settle for getting the Criterion version where it's the whole trilogy wrapped together. But if you want something that kind of represents, maybe not perfectly, but represents a lot of who I am and who I've come to be, at least up till this point in life, that that would be the one. That would be the ticket. Because what the movie is ultimately about is it's these two people. By happenstance, they're on the same train. And at their stop, they're like, Ethan Hawke, he talks to this woman, he approaches this woman who, you know, he doesn't know anything about. He hasn't even spoken to before. She's played by Dewey Delpy. And they, he's like, do you want to get off? And I feel like it would be a massive regret if I... I didn't ask you to go and spend the day with me. And, you know, we don't do these things. I, I don't know why, but that, that's what I feel like. So they go and they spend an entire day in uh, Vienna just walking and talking. There's not, there's not really any action to it. There's not really any drama. It's just 90 minutes or, or however long it is. I think it's like hour 45 minutes of two people having conversations with each other. And those conversations range from anything you could think of. Uh, They talk about the nature of love, what it means to really love someone. And, you know, you have movies that talk about what is love. Maybe don't hurt me. Uh, Sorry. You you have so many movies talking about what love is, and there are so many great examples. But I feel like that the way he, the way Linklater gets at the heart of these fundamental uh, facts of life, you know, how we interact with each other, what love is, 
what really love is. And I like how they're the, the two of them, similar to that when Harry met Sally one, the two of them share a lot of similarities, but they also share a lot of differences. It's not just them agreeing with each other for the large portion of the movie. It's them also, hey, I think about it this way. I think about it this way, but it's not at any point, And you'd be hard pressed to find something like this. But, you know, two people disagreeing and not having it blow up into a big debate. But, uh, yeah, they go and they talk about these things. And and it's just and it's the way they talk to you. It's how they they communicate their thoughts and ideas. And if you want to know how I communicate to people and how I talk, that's pretty much. Not one to one equivalent, but that's that's pretty on the mark where I'm generally a thoughtful person. I'm not really engaged in so many of the fads, the, the, the crazy lingo that people in my generation have. That's, that's how I like to communicate and express myself. And so we have this movie where that's just the entirety of the movie. So of course I love that. And of course that connects with me, but not only do we have that one, we've got two others just like that. So that's my answer. Man, I seem to really be bad at that about giving short answers to these these questions. It's all good, man. No, I, it's all good. So, you know, you know, down. You've given me a lot of movies to like rewatch or watch for the first time, and which I love. I love that. And I, I've I've never seen these movies. I've always heard great things about them, but I've never actually checked them out. So, um, yeah, I, I need to watch it. So appreciate you like sharing that and giving that that uh perspective because it sounds yeah it sounds like something i would totally totally love and be right up my alley so yeah it also just captures a lot of what i want to make like i've come up with a lot of story ideas for movies i want to make in the future and i came up with a film trilogy idea uh that this is going to sound weird that feels like a combination of those movies and the Cornetto trilogy. Do you, do you know that one? I think so. So Hot Fuzz, Shaun of the Dead. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, I don't know through that, but yeah. Yeah, they're, again, it's kind of weird, but a lot of what I hope to make and tell has been inspired by, you know, the so many different things that I've, delved into over the years and that's been one of my biggest inspirations as far as wanting to be able to capture not exactly the same thing but something that could be you know like could continue that sort of style and and maybe do a little something with it of course i'm quite far away from actually doing something like that and making that a reality but it's early days it's early stages it's like early early days but you know, just a movie like that, a series like that, it just hit me right, uh, it hit me at the right place at the right time. And mm-hmm. I think, I think that, you know, can be said of a lot of great movies. It's just they, they come at you the best time and they happen to just perfectly encapsulate. And maybe not perfectly encapsulate, but you know what I mean. Yeah. You know, what you, what you love about not just movies, but just life itself. Yeah, no, for sure. I think, timing of stuff is really important too like you mentioned like the time you see it and whatnot but also like yeah like i just i just remember like 
Monsters University. I saw it in theaters and I thought it was okay. Yeah, it was fine. It was a cool prequel. Didn't think much of that. And I remember watching it with my kids at a certain very vulnerable spot in my life and just like, just like sobbing at the end of it. Like that scene, there's like a very vulnerable scene between Mike Wazowski and Sully. And it was like, I just like, I like could not keep it in. I was just like, holy cow. I felt like both of them in that situation. Like the things, the very vulnerable things they expressed to each other and like, you know, different phases of life. And I was just like, man, this movie is, this movie's great. I was like, this is a very underrated Pixar movie, but, um, Anyway, yeah, so I think that's I. It's one of the great things about movies. That's why I love having these conversations with people, like hearing their experiences and and whether it's a movie I've seen or maybe I've never seen, be able to go back and look at it through someone else's perspective and bring that into my viewing is, is I love that as well. So, um, well, Dallin, it was great, man. It was so fun to catch up and talk to you. Is there anything else you just you want to add or say before we finish up or? I mean, just keep doing what you're doing, Thomas, and I look forward to listening to more of the, the, the show and and hearing people's stories and what they enjoy. Certainly think I got a, a watch list going on with things I need yeah. to start checking out. And you know, maybe with some of these other guests that you've had, they've had, you know, things that impacted them in a meaningful way that I'll likely haven't seen and I'll surely check it out. You know, I yeah. I kind of love what you got you got going here. I mean, this is a great way to express and communicate just ways that film impacts people. And so I guess just keep it up. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun, and I don't get to do it as much as I'd like to. Like I was sharing beforehand, just life is busy, but I try to get to it, you know, as much as I can. So it's definitely a big passion project for me. So. Um, well, thanks, Don. This was this was great. And uh, um, do you have anything you'd like to plug, like your website? Are you doing that again now, or are you? Yeah, so that's back online. Uh, I'm still getting used to it. I've been home for what has it been? 19 days. So I'm still. Yeah. It still feels weird to know that I'm actually back and doing the things that I'm doing. But that's back online. Um, I did. My first post back was a, a kind of a spoiler review slash breakdown of Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, in which I express what might be uh, and what I know to be, considering what Thomas and I talked about prior to recording this episode, a controver- controversial opinion. <laughs> Hopefully not wholly controversial, but you could find that on my website, downthefilmfanatic.blogspot.com. You could find me uh, reposting that on social media on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram at Down the Film Fanatic. Or if you're on Twitter, I think it's at D the Film Fanatic. Um, so if you want to follow me in any of those platforms, uh, you know, feel free to do so. And I mean, if you've got something that you want to share to any one of those things, whether it be something I've done recently or some post that I did years ago, you know, feel free to share what I love about doing this and why I still do it is it allows me to engage with different people on um, what their opinions are and what they think. And a lot of the times uh, I'm, I'm happy to say it's a positive experience. I haven't gotten too much of the, uh, maybe the uh, pushback for some of the things that I write that others might do. So it was still kind of dumb that way back when, when I was talking about film composers, I write John Williams at number six. What was I doing? 
You remember that? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That, I mean, I mean, I, I, I wasn't judging you just so you know, I, but, <laughs> Oh no, I, I know, but I, I don't know. That's something I just kick myself for, you know, and other people kind of poke fun at me for, I don't think I'm going to be able to ever forget it. Uh, also, you know, way to go, Dallin. You just dropped that at the end of giving this really heartfelt, what I feel like was very empathetic. And I think just expressing that you named John Williams your sixth favorite composer at one time just killed all your credibility. <laughs> no, it's all good, man. No, that, I remember, I think, I think your dad expressed like, what? That was number six? Was he, I, I feel like even to me, he was like, can you believe this guy? Like, <laughs> what a clown. Don't worry. Yeah. If that's how he feels, imagine how I feel about it looking back two years later. But yeah. that's that's the fun part of life. You go and you do stupid stuff, and it's fun to look back and laugh. It's part of the whole process. Yeah, I just may have to come out with come out with a something new, kind of an update to set the record straight. And uh, I don't know. The good thing about life is that we can evolve, we can change, we can learn from our mistakes. So, <laughs> but you know what though, yeah. even if you did feel that, I mean, if you still feel that way, that's okay too. So, um, but that was a fun episode to do on the, on yeah, my old show. Uh, we, we like ranked our favorite composers and, uh, um, I think that's, you know, as I'm evolving this show as well, I, I like, I'll definitely stick to this interview thing, but I do kind of want to explore different ideas. And so if you have ideas, don't hesitate to reach out. I, I like doing those kind of off the wall type things too. So, um, but uh, yeah, well, I will, let's, let's get this up. We'll wrap up this episode for tonight. I really appreciate Dallin. Like I said, it was great catching up and chatting um, and I'll make sure to put links to your stuff in the show notes. So thank you everyone for tuning in. And lastly, just if you would like to be a guest on the show, um, yeah, don't hesitate to reach out. I'm always open to new, if you know, whether you're someone that I know a long time or new, someone I've never met, I'm always open to, to new people on the show. So please don't hesitate to reach out. And thank you, everyone, and have a great rest of your day. It's unknowable. It's impossible, but it's also right in front of us all the time. You wouldn't know that because I did when I created you. I'm sorry, Blue. I'm sorry.